You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Next up on Destination Freedom. So he began to look white men directly in the eye. He wanted them to see his rage. He wanted them to know what was in his heart. If they truly believed that he was a beast and a beast only, he would give them the look of one. He ran into trouble quickly. He was called onto the second floor balcony of the plantation manor to receive a whooping. So up the marble steps he marched to be made an example of to the rest of the slaves on the plantation. And as he walked up those steps, he had the clearest thought he had ever had in his 31 years. He thought about what life would be without the lash. And he asked himself, Welcome to episode 16 of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days podcast. I'm producer director Danielle Betts. On this episode, Give Me Liberty, A Free Man's Story, a play of historical fiction written by John and Sidney Furtrell. The piece was inspired by real events as described in genealogical documents preserved by John's mother. As the story goes, John's great, 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 great grandfather was Patrick Henry. The Patrick Henry, whose famous quote, Give me liberty or give me death, inspired some before the American Revolutionary War. The story is decorated with prose, creativity, humor, and lived experience by the husband and wife writing team. Now, Give Me Liberty, a free man's story. Give Me Liberty, a free man's story, part one. Destination Freedom Black Radio Days is a copyrighted program on No Credits Production, LLC. Any unauthorized rebroadcast recording of any use of this program is strictly prohibited. Destination Freedom.
this episode of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. A young man finds a box of letters among his late grandmother's possessions. Although the pain of her loss is too much to bear, he still reluctantly opens the envelope and begins to read. Dear Edna, I have not forgotten that I promised to write you as much as I can remember of what Patrick, my grandpa, told us of his family. Forgive me as it is hard for me to gather my thoughts considering my current circumstances. But I will try my best to remember the details and won't embellish for the sake of the fantastic. Grandpa told us dozens of stories about his father, Patrick Henry III, affectionately known in the family as Papa Patrick. It is known in our family that he was the grandson to THE Patrick Henry, founding father and credited author of the poetic phrase, Give me liberty or give me death. Now. Founding father is a dubious term, especially when slave masters were known to sire children with their property. Our founding father was not a man of great means by his own right. As the younger son to John and Sarah Henry, he would not inherit their fortune, which included land and slaves. Unlike his peers, the likes of Jefferson and Washington, Patrick would have to find his own way to make his mark. He tried and failed to open up his own haberdashery and found himself dedicated to the ministry. As an Angelican, He believed in the idea that it is not enough to save one's own soul, but one should help to save society. This should serve as ample foreshadowing and leave a bitter taste of irony. The hypocrisy behind those words and those like it from so-called great men who owned other men and women, who bred them as beasts of burden, who beat them until their own delight and terrorized our women with implanting their seeds within our mother's unwilling wombs. When our founding father married his wife, Sarah Shelton, her father gifted them with 300 acres and six slaves of their own. And of these slaves, our great, great, great grandmother would be counted in that stock. Freemen, owning people of their own. Blinded to their pain and suffering, how dull their sense of freedom must be, how hollow their words decried from their own right to live as they please. Not so privileged were our kin to fight for freedom while denying it to others. Her name was Hope. She was said to have been so beautiful that men lost their words at the first time they saw her. No matter her age or their color or their status, no matter who was around, She was young when her family was given to Patrick Henry and his wife, maybe 20. She was full of life and happiness. Joy came naturally to her. She had a strong spirit, but knew how to hide herself well. She was careful not to draw attention to her joy. She knew it to be a gift, a coveted jewel in the hell in which she lived. Try as she might to be invisible, she caught the attention of her master, Patrick Henry. He often took to the fields to work with his slaves and became very fond of hope. It took two or three years before he acted on his urges, but eventually he did. Hope was always between a rock and a hard place. She had no love for Mrs. Henry, the old swine, and even less for Patrick Henry, the hypocrite, the devil, as she called him. And she let him know it too. 
but he was so taken with her that he let her talk back, but he wasn't afraid of her. It didn't matter what she said about him or to whom she said it, he was in charge of everyone. And she kept a knife hidden near where she slept. But when she finally built up the nerve to use it on him, she was already growing his child within her belly and decided she'd rather just keep on with living instead. She labored for two whole days giving birth to Patrick Henry's baby. She stayed quiet through most of it, out of spite and fear. She had help from another slave mother. The woman wiped Hope's brow and made her bite down on a piece of leather during her contractions. She applied pressure on Hope's back with great force and showed Hope how to squat when it was time to push. And the boy was born in the middle of the night. Hope let out a guttural sigh when he finally emerged. She heaved air in and out deeply at the sound of his first cries. She heard the cackle of fire, and her midwife wrapped the baby and placed him in Hope's arms. The two held each other in the glow of the moon, smelling of iron and hard work, and he looked like his father. Then she whispered to him, You are my son. It's 1760 in Hanover, Virginia. The smoke is thick in the air, and so is the fog. It's springtime. The pollen and field dust are visible in the air. The buzzing of bees is audible. The sound of horse hooves and insects and the wheels of the stagecoach and the chatter of people linger. Morning. Hope looks amused at the cart as it pulls up. Morning, Master Henry. Mrs. Henry and I are heading into town. Please see to it that we have supper ready when we return. Mrs. Henry pokes her head from the stagecoach, looks intrigued and greedily at Hope, and her baby strapped to her back. Hope, I haven't yet seen the baby. I'd like to take a look. Come here, girl. Hope approaches the stagecoach and slowly, bravely, reveals the sleeping child to Mrs. Henry. What's his name, girl? His name is Patrick Henry, ma'am. After that, life got increasingly difficult for Hope and little Patrick Henry. Master stopped working in the fields and the days seemed much longer. The sun over Virginia is as unforgiving in the summer as the whip, and the winters are as cold as the hands that hold it. Hope and her Patrick worked on that plantation never knowing much of the man who had given them to each other. They knew nothing of the Stamp Act or the Continental Congress, and in 1775 at St. John's Episcopal Church in Richmond, he shouted to his Lord and for all to hear, If we were base enough to desire it, it is now too late to retire from the contest. There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Forbid it, almighty God. I know not that course others may take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And at that same moment, as his lips mustered the courage to inspire a nation, his own son, born from subjugation and tyranny, peeled the flesh back from his palms in the field that would be his home until he died, but not before having a son of his own. Went down to the river Jordan where John baptized three, where I walked the devil in hell, says Johnny baptized me. 
1820 on a misty fall morning in Virginia. I was told it was a Thursday and it was cold. Papa was brought up around the fire, the kiss of wood smoke ever present on his clothes and in his hair. He loved the night. He spoke a lot about what the stars looked like when he was a child, how they shone so bright that you could hardly get to sleep. This was the time he used to think about his future. I imagine when the wind blew lightly, cool like an exhale from God, a time when everyone, including the plantation owners, were too tired to chastise them for smiling, for swaying, for singing softly. The night must have been like a small taste of honey after the bitter, blistering, bloody madness that were the days. He was a strong man. He had piercing eyes, full of wisdom and empathy. He spent his whole life watching his father bleed for a revered man who treated his own blood with unforgivable irreverence. He was the kind of man who was free in his soul, from his first memories to his final breath. Oddly enough, he had the conviction for justice that his grandfather, Patrick Henry, purported to have. Only Papa really lived and breathed it, rather than just preaching about it like the old devil. Papa's tenacity for truth and fairness made him a formidable conversationalist. He was intimidating both physically and intellectually to the entire Henry family. They had no hold over him. He didn't carry around any ambivalence towards the Henrys like his father did. Papa just hated those sons of bitches through and through. And they could sense it. And eventually, they sent him away. Andrew Henry, the field boss in 1849. Patrick Henry's 17-year-old grandson approaches Papa and several other men. It's a hot summer's day. Whoa there. You, young Patrick. Come over here, boy. I got some news for you. Go ahead with your news, Andrew. I don't have the patience for trying to tame your wildness no longer. We're selling you. You're going down south. Your new owner's up at the house. Now, I can tie you up to come along with me, or you can start walking. Now, which one you want? This way you won't have to worry about me killing you no longer. Hmm? Uh, <clears throat> I'll walk. Hmm. After Papa Patrick was sold, he belonged to a planter named Blunt Stewart. Blunt owned a plantation near Natchez, Mississippi. Natchez sits on the Mississippi River and was once the capital of the territory. Its bluff made it a perfect trading post for Native Americans, Europeans, and peoples of African descent. 
The plantation was big, bigger than most and had several slave quarters. The enslaved souls there weren't the type to question their existence, whether they deserved a life in bondage. Papa likened them more to goats, willing to go in any direction they were told. So he stood out. He spoke before being told to and walked with his head up. His behavior was just on the edge of making white folks in Natchez uncomfortable. But there was something different. Something different about him that was almost admirable as admirable as one can be, born into a life of suffering. Papa was sold from the plantation in Virginia because he was too difficult to keep in line, but everyone knew that it was really because he bore too much of a likeness to his white grandfather. However, it seemed that Mr. Stewart could not control him either. He would often come back from the fields without a bead of sweat on his brow and his sack half full. But the two of them had a strange relationship. It was more like a friendship, if such a thing could be said about a slave and his master. They would talk to each other on their walks to and from the fields, and often Mr. Stewart would find himself outmatched by Papa's wit. Mr. Stewart had lost a bet in town and owed a considerable amount of money. Papa had overheard him speak, speak of his troubles, and said, You can't lose what you're going to bet. <laughs> from that day on, Mr. Stewart stayed away from games of chance. God damn it, Patrick. This is the last time you're going to come back here empty-handed now. Now, I likes you. You're a good boy when you want to be, but I can't afford to keep you. Now, Dr. Harkness up the road is in need of someone to clear his fields. It's, it's hard work, and he ain't soft on giving the weapons neither. Uh, I suspect he ain't as bright as you neither, boss. Now, don't you go giving him any trouble, Pat. Can't afford to take you back if you don't behave. <laughs> and so he was sold to Dr. Jim Harkness on a neighboring plantation. In 1851, Papa was 31 years old. One thing he had was the gift of knowing the season and year of his birth. He didn't know what day, he didn't know how to read or write. He couldn't hold a violin like his grandpappy could, and he didn't know how old he was, but he did know that, and that was worth its weight in tobacco. So here he was in what seemed to be another planet. The smells were different, the people were different, the land was different. This made Papa angry. He felt betrayed by the Henrys for two generations of their inhumanity. They enslaved everyone he ever loved took everything they had and forced them to give them everything that they did. They forced themselves on his grandmother, worked his father to death, and then sold him to a farm in Mississippi? Keep in mind, he knew that the world only promised him misery and death. For a slave to understand his place, it must have felt like a cruel joke told to an audience of one. The pain drew cries and laughter to no one's place as property and yet to dream of nothing but freedom. The freedom to decide when to wake in the morning. So he began to look white men directly in the eye. He wanted them to see his rage. He wanted them to know what was in his heart. If they truly believed that he was a beast and a beast only, he would give them the look of one. For if the vessel of slave carried no soul, 
then the hate he held on to couldn't be ignored, and perhaps he understood his plight. He ran into trouble quickly at Dr. Harkness's plantation for some of his supposed misdeeds. He was called onto the second floor balcony of the plantation manor to receive a whooping from the good old doctor. So up the marble steps he marched to be made an example of to the rest of the slaves on the plantation. They all waited below, some with fear in their eyes and others with genuine glee. By time, master set him straight. And as he walked up those steps, he had the clearest thought he had ever had in his 31 years. He thought about what life would be without the lash. And he asked himself, What did life feel like to be white? This question seemed to run through his entire body. It gave his stomach an uneasy feeling, but it seemed as honest a thought as he had ever had. What if Master Morva, why is Master Morva a man than me anyways? And by the time he reached the top of those stairs, the feeling was gone. I ain't gonna take no whipping. Boy, I might just cut out your tongue too. You'd sooner find yourself on the porch down below. Nigger, I... Patrick was having none of that. He seized his master and threw him over the railing to the ground, breaking some bones in the process. And there he lay, the master, broken and writhing in pain. It all happened so quickly that everyone stood in shock. The good doctor's wife, the slaves, the field hands, the stable boys, all stood in silence as the good doctor screamed in agony. And all at once, the entire plantation let out a collective cry. What a sight to behold. Don't you know those slaves gathered around the good doctor like he was the ever-living Christ? They flung their bodies and wailed like widows. Most of them had suffered lifelong injuries at his hand, deformed and broken themselves. They hadn't the tears for their own children, but let them find their cheeks as they lifted Massa and rushed him back into the house. And for a moment, as Papa watched, he was filled with a sense of pride. But that could only last a moment as the overseers gathered their wits and understood what had to be done. Naturally, Papa had to run. And run, he did. And he ran right out that front door into the bush. The overseers followed but were called back into the house to help with the good doctor. He was losing blood and needed assistance if he was to live. Now once news of Papa's deeds had made it to Natchez, a posse was formed to hunt him down, hunt down the fugitive. And so he ran. Into the thicket he went. He didn't know this land like he knew Virginia. Its strange plants and animals only gave him further cause to get as far away as possible. And of course, he was pursued by a band of the local gentry with tracking dogs. He thought they would surely catch up to him by nightfall, but he underestimated his own lust for freedom. He didn't sleep. He couldn't. He just kept running. He kept running. He kept running through the marsh, through the trees, through the humidity. It was like a wall, choking his breath and making his legs heavy. The sounds were odd, coyotes screaming and muskrats fumbling through the bush. He, he ate snails by the river, and they gave him the strength to carry on. 
He picked wild peppergrass and dandelions and stuffed them in his pants with as much as he could carry. His shirt was ripped into shreds and in the bottom of his, of his feet, they looked the same. The, the thorns and the mud almost looked like shoes if you didn't look closely enough. But he could hear the men and dogs in the distance. They weren't too far off, and he guessed he only had a few hundred yards between certain death and freedom. What? And he wondered what his grandpappy, who he got his name from, what would he think of him now? Would he be proud that his grandson knew that he couldn't belong to another man? Would he write about his courage and praise him as a revolutionary? Or would he deny him? like he had done to all of his dark-skinned kinfolk. A family he created, but didn't have the courage to accept himself. But Papa was big and strong, stronger than most men. He could haul a 300-pound sack of whatever Mr. Blunt told him to without buckling his knees. So Patrick stole an ember of fire from a slave shack as he ran through a nearby plantation. He knew it was too dangerous to stay there, and it would get colder as the night grew long. So we pressed on for another couple miles until the woods grew thick, and he couldn't see any more flickers of light from the old plantation. He began to doze off by the moonlight near a magnolia. And for a brief moment, in that state of half-sleep, he rested. His chest rose and fell. So tired was his body that the croaks from the frogs and the whirring of the insects ricocheted off his skin and made the hairs on his arms lift and nearly started to dance. He, he heard a, a tingy clang, clang, clang inside his ears as he was being lulled into the darkness of sleep. And that's when one of the dogs caught up with him. I bit him on the calf. It pulled and shook its head viciously. It would have taken his leg clean off, but he wrapped his massive arms around its neck and strangled it. And then Papa listened out for more dogs, for the men, but he heard nothing. He heard nothing for a long, long time. And he was hungry, and good meat was hard to come by. So don't you know he ripped off one of those dog's legs and roasted it over a small flame? <laughs> and then Papa had an idea. He was on the run for his life and needed to do whatever it took to get free. He figured he'd scare those white men off. He could scare those white men off if he left them a message. So he took that dog's head and ran it through a spike right near where he had made camp. The sight was gruesome. And don't you know when that posse caught up with this camp, two of those good old boys threw up. <laughs> what kind of nigger would do such a thing? Kill a dog and take him apart like this? <laughs> By the time Patrick was a good distance from them boys, and he decided that he wouldn't fall asleep ever again, well, at least until he was free. But Mississippi is big, and he didn't know the deer trails here. He kept pushing. He beat the sun to the top of a hill and took in the light like the wicked being baptized. He let it wash over him, and then he felt new again. His wounds felt healed, 
and his heart felt strong. He was determined to see freedom, and he believed that his Lord wanted the same. Ugh! Ah, and he would have gotten clean away if it wasn't for the fact that while passing by a stream, he cut his foot rather badly. Being unable to run any further, he took refuge in an outhouse. And while he tried to mend his wounds, this is where the pursuing band caught up with him. Come on out, Patrick. We got five men out here. You got nowhere to run. You're getting paid for what you did in my hound. Now they were afraid to come in and get him since he threatened to kill the first one who come up. Ellen, were you brave enough to come through that door and go meet that dog on the other side of the creation? See, the posse couldn't just kill Patrick and bring him back. He was worth too much alive. Granted, he would be punished, probably castrated, and lose maybe an ear or an eye. But he was worth too much to just be killed. And Patrick knew it. So they waited. After two days of trailing him through that devil's garden, avoiding copperheads and black widows, risking a broken leg, or stepping into a sinkhole, or even being finished off by a gator, they were tired. And he was not. So they waited. Papa didn't sleep. And one of those boys had a smart idea to try to run into the outhouse to tip it over. <laughs> Papa put his back against the wall. Mm -hmm, and, uh, and when the man tried to run into it, he was knocked back so hard it looked like he was being pulled in the air. <laughs> but he couldn't stay there forever. And then he had another good idea. Papa would bargain with no one except for Blunt Stewart, with whom he trusted. Sure, he was still angry with Mr. Stewart for selling him, but he had no other choice at this point. You want me to come out? Then get Mr. Stewart who sold me to Doc Harkness. I'll talk to him, him only. Come on out, Patrick. You're gonna get what's coming if you don't. Only way I'm coming out is the Lord's arms. If you want me so bad, you can come in and get me. I'll go get Mr. Stewart. We ain't playing with you, nigga. Get out of here right now. It was at that moment <laughs> that Papa remembered something his mother had told him his grandpappy said to a room full of white folks ready to go to war. Give me liberty or give me death. Now, Papa had neither the muskets nor the powdered wigs to make such a request. He'd have been better off just saying, give me death and being done with it. But the men of the posse knew of his lineage. And when he said those words, they believed him. And a shiver of lightning ran down their spines. So Blunt was sent for to act as a mediator. He was a two-day trek through that ungodly forest, over the ridges and rolling hills, and two days back even still, Patrick waited. He didn't sleep, and he ate the snails and dandelions he had left. And when that ran out, he ate whatever crawled under the door or clung to the ceiling of that foul outhouse in the woods. And lo and behold, after four days of making his demands, Mr. Stewart arrived. I'm liable to whip you myself for dragging me into this, Patrick Henry. Now you come on out. Is that you, Mr. Stewart? Yes, it's me. Should know since you had me called for. Now quit this foolish foolishness and come out here. I could have just come out here without you. What I need is your word that I be set free. Set free? Boy, you're in no position to make requests. Now come out, or you may lose more than an ear. 
Now the way I sees it, I worked your land. I made you lots of money. I gave you good advice when you needed a level head. I gained your trust and owe me my own life at the very least. And it was at that moment that Blunt Stewart felt something for a man he thought of as a beast who used to be his property. The idea of at least owing him his own life struck him very hard and he had no answer. He knew that Papa was the grandson of a founding father and one who had inspired his kin to rise up against the British. His father had too taken arms up against the king. In 1778, Natchez joined the revolution when a band of men led by James Willing brought the war to them by leading a raiding party against the force of British. And he led them from their properties and plundered the land of several well-known Tories south of the town. Blunt Stewart was reminded that of this raid by our Pawpaw's standoff in that outhouse. A slave. A man with nothing more than the knowledge of his own birth year. And this move, Mr. Stewart. Patrick, I, I do believe you are right. I do owe you your own life. <laughs> more than you'll ever know. Hell, I might even owe you my own, if I was being honest. If you come out, I'll make it right with the good doctor. And you'll be a free man. And Patrick surrendered after being assured that he would not be whipped and hung. And this is the last we heard of him until after the Civil War. I could continue the story, but um, that would be best suited for another letter. I must admit it brings me joy to tell you this story as only a few know it and my hopes are that our beloved Papa may be remembered as the man that he was and not as the beast history would have labeled him as. Without his audaciousness, I would not be writing to you today from a foxhole in Vietnam. As my brothers fall around me, I want to tell the story of how I got here before I joined them at heaven's gates. If this letter finds you, and you write back, I'll be sure to respond with the second half of this story. Sincerely, Private First Class, Patrick Henry VI, United States Army. Sometimes I feel
just heard Destination Freedom Black Radio Days, Give Me Liberty, A Free Man's Story, written by John and Sidney Portrell, produced and directed by Donnie Betts. This episode is written and produced in the spirit of the original series, Destination Freedom, by Richard Durham. The cast included Donnie Betts as Papa, Brian Landis Falkins as Patrick Henry and other voices, John Portrell as narrator, Sidney Portrell as Mrs. Henry, and Monique Brooks Roberts as Hope. Monique and Aaron Brooks provided the music, musicscape. Maurice Smith, Reese, sound effects, and George Figs with our engineer. Destination Freedom is sponsored in part by KGNU, the Urban Spectrum, Bonfee Stanford Foundation, the Ulipian Funds, Arts and Society, No Credits Production, LLC, and NoCredits.com. Next time, join us for our first live stream broadcast, Friday, August 28th, at 7 p.m. A letter to America from heaven, from Emmett Till. Also followed by a concert for Elijah McClain, live from Dazzles on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and No Credits Production, LLC, and NoCredits.com. Join us now for our conversation with the writers of this episode and later musical guests Monique and Aaron Brooks-Roberts. Destination Freedom. I'm Donnie Betts. Welcome, welcome, John. Hey, what's How up, Donnie? How you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, brother. Thank you so much. Good, good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Let me have Sydney join us over here. Yay! Can so we take a second to like shout out like everybody in the room right now? Yeah, Thank you guys. This was amazing. Yeah. This was Thank incredible. You. Absolutely incredible. So it's uh, it's uh, our first radio show uh, in the age of COVID nineteen, and uh, and it's uh, working. It's working okay. What a great one to have. Uh, once again, it follows the themes of destination freedom. So tell me the inspiration for this. I know it was the inspiration part was the letters, but that's, let's go into a little bit more details. Yeah. Sure. Um, uh, John's mother is uh, an avid um, archive archivist, I guess, and she keeps all the family's genealogy documents and does a lot of research on the family's history, and um, it's it's a real passion of hers and she had these letters and there was this story in there about John being a descendant of Patrick Henry and we were inspired to do something creative with it and pull in things that have happened in our lives and in my family's life and his family's life and in our life together and we created this piece. And during the age of COVID, um, you know, we did so in the in the garage, you know, at night. <laughs> um, and uh, it was uh, a process that I will, you know, cherish uh, for a very long time as as our family um, is sharing these stories. Um, and, and we've become accustomed to it, um, especially recently as we uh, were part of a campaign to rename the neighborhood formerly known as Stapleton, which is now Central Park, um, to Mosley Park. And through that process... Uh, we were just reading more stories and, and, and finding more um, anecdotal things um, about our family um, to be able to share uh, with Denver. And this was just one of those gems that uh, that popped out. Now, this is part one of a three-part series, you were saying, right? Yes, it is. So um, are we writing the two and three already? Are they already written? Or? Two, two and three are in progress right now. <laughs> uh, two is a, uh, it's going to be a phenomenal story. We don't want to give uh, too much up, but we are going to uh, follow this descendant of uh, Patrick Henry um, through Vietnam. Um, and out of that, uh, we'll catch back up with the family um, later in the antebellum South. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's going to be a very interesting tale 
Um, and we hope that you guys uh, join us uh, for this series. Well, we're honored that you uh, allowed us to share this with the audience uh, as part of the Destination Freedom Series. Uh, we're always looking for great stories. Uh, we're always looking for things uh, and individuals or whether it's groups or events that lead us toward our freedom. Uh, more than any time in our nation's history, we need it. We need it desperately. So um, looking back at history always helps us look forward to the future. So we thank you yes. both for doing that. Um, John and Sydney Portrayal. So, uh, John, just a little yeah. bit before we let you go, too, you, you've been yeah. part of Destination Freedom now a couple of times. You yes, did, sir. Uh, Detroit, Detroit uh, Blue. Legend of Detroit Blue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so uh, you're known uh, as an activist. You're known as a spoken word artist, uh, that sir. sort of thing. So how does it feel now to really do more uh, of the acting side? It feels um, really empowering uh, to, you know, take uh, the, the performance poetry uh uh, performance art and and shift it into another um, mind state. You know, uh, there's a difference between getting up in front of an audience and reading a poem in three minutes uh, to to get a, a guttural reaction. You know, in that moment, um, as opposed to writing, um, you know, a play that there's there's a build and you want to build tension and you want people to follow you along this journey. You want them to close your their eyes and 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 see things and smell things and and feel things. Um, and so, you know, in, in performance poetry and slam poetry, you're trying to get all of that in three minutes, <laughs> you know? And so having time to, to, to build a, uh, right. a soundscape um, with amazing musicians and, you know, really build the feel of, of the environment in which you're in with actors who can, who can add to that um, is, is really special and unique. What, what do you think, hon? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't have a performance background, but I think this experience getting to um, perform this story that we wrote and, and it's it's moving. It's moving to be a part of sharing your family story with with the world and to have this music laid over it today is emotional and it's beautiful and so special. So I'm, I'm just glad to be a part of it. And it's a great thing for our kids too. We've got we've got two small ones at home, a six year old and you know, a nine month old and, and for them to know that their their family stories are being told in this way is a blessing. So thank you, Donnie, for giving us this opportunity. It's my pleasure and my honor. And so it's my honor now to introduce our musical guest for the evening who's joined us several times now on Destination yes. Freedom. I hope she continues on to do that. <laughs> she also will be leading the uh, all the string uh, musicians at our live stream on the twenty eighth of August for uh, uh, Elijah McLean. Uh, Monique Brooks Roberts and her incredible, incredible husband and cohort, Aaron Brooks. Yes. Thank you so much, Donnie. Absolutely. So we're going to start with a, a, a song that I feel like is really fitting after such a beautiful, intense <laughs> experience that we just had here. Um, and I've always been a fan of Donnie Hathaway, so we're going to do Someday We'll All Be Free by Donnie Hathaway.
Destination Freedom Black Radio Days is produced by Donnie Betts. The series is remixed by Maurice Smith, a.k.a. Reese. That concludes this episode of Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check us out at NoCredits.com and pick up our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes, Radio Public, Spotify, etc. Follow us at Twitter at Donnie Betts, hashtag NoCreditsProduction, LLC, hashtag Black Radio Days, hashtag Destination Freedom Black Radio Days. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.